maker of memes the twitter troll that you pay the troll toll for if you get that reference you're a king i am born and raised in tucson arizona so i bleed red and blue my twitter account which started as a troll account slash sean miller burner was born the night mark schlebach 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 made a report saying that sean miller paid deandre ayton a hundred thousand dollar bag but I love U of A, and I wanted to do more than just tweet, so here we are. All right, let's cover some Arizona basketball. It was one of those years where I felt more so than the others that the roster really took a leap this season, getting better from last year to this year. Maybe that was Tommy Lloyd and staff, but nevertheless, guys like Matherin, Terry, Coloco all took a leap. So I just want to spend a few minutes going over Arizona's performance in the tournament, kind of putting a bow on their season. And then we'll talk about the future of the roster. So, rewind a year ago. Arizona fires Sean Miller. They hire Tommy Lloyd after so many former players wanted Damon Stoudemire to be hired among other candidates. They wanted it to be a former Wildcat. Keep it in the family like North Carolina did. I I admit I did too. But I wanted Steve Kerr. That was never going to happen. President Robbins was looking at guys like Chris Beard, Tony Bennett, even Chris Holtman from what I heard, and he hires Tommy Lloyd. That's coach of the year, Tommy Lloyd. The rest is history. First to ever win 18 Pac-12 games. He goes 33-4 and on the year, ranked in the top five pretty much the whole second half of the year. Somebody who had never been a head coach before and was an assistant on Gonzaga for over 20 years. That's damn impressive in itself. Then you add in they won the regular season title. They won the Pac-12 tournament. Number one seed. Third in the country in points per game. First in assists per game. I mean, I could go on and on. But let's talk about the tournament. So Horizon League champions and winners of the first four against Bryant. Wright State in the round of 64. The game got a little too close for comfort there. I will neither confirm nor deny that I got flashbacks to UMBC and Virginia for a few seconds in that one. I mean, those guys were hitting shots. They had some dudes on that team. Five guys scored in double figures for Arizona, and they shot 55% from the field and 55% from three. Yeah, they were 11 of 20 from beyond the arc. It sucks that Wright State had such a good season and ran into Arizona, and I feel like they were a 12 or 13 seed and they possibly pull an upset. Hell, maybe even a, you know, freaking 15 seed. So we move on to TCU. This game had everything. Emotion, blood, sweat, tears, crazies, you name it. Those guys were a lot better than a nine seed. They had three players score more than 20 points. Lampkin, you know, the big boy, was killing them inside. And that dude was 
on acid or snorted his pre-workout or something because I've never seen a player with that much energy hyping himself up like that in my life. The whole team made six threes and Chuck O'Bannon hit five of them and it felt like he was hitting more than just five. It felt like he was lighting up the entire floor. I mean, if I told you a team hit six three-pointers and would be hanging around a number one seed and going to overtime with them, that would sound stupid. But Arizona was 5 of 27 from three. TCU grabbed 20 offensive rebounds and finished just about everything inside. It felt like they were just pouring it on. I mean, they could really compete with Arizona. And every time Lampkin scored, he had out-of-body experience and had to let everybody know about it. I don't know how he didn't get called for attack when he tried to do the worm while hanging on the rim, especially when that egregious call earlier in the day on Illinois on that fast break dunk. He was trying to hype himself up and hype his team up. I mean, calling Coloco short was so stupid. Like, all right, buddy, you not realize how many blocks Coloco has on the year? He's like the tallest player on the floor. But this was the Matherin Coloco game. They combined for 58 points, and Matherin went to another level mentally for that game. That dunk he had instantly gave me flashbacks of all the dunks against Duke in 2011, the one Derek Williams had, and the one that Jamel Horn had, that banger over Kyle Singler. The other one that comes to mind was the absolute murder that Raleigh Alkins did in the DeAndre Ayton year when they played USC in the championship game. It, that just felt so good because of what that team had gone through. But, I mean, for this Matherin dunk, I I jumped off the couch. I was hyped. I mean, the whole arena was loud. The bench was going berserk. I mean, I have watched that replay what feels like a hundred times at least. So, fast forward later in the game. Arizona's down three, and Matherin hits that sidestep fadeaway three. We have seen, as Arizona fans, so many of these shots in the tournament that don't fall our way. I mean, I think back to all the attempts over the years. The Alonzo Trier one against Xavier in the Sweet 16. Um, Nick Johnson not getting the shot off against Wisconsin in the Elite Eight. Derek Williams and Jamel Horn missing threes in the last few seconds against UConn. We've seen it time and time again, but finally a shot went in for us in the NCAA tournament. That Mathur 3 was everything. I mean, I was straight cold-blooded. I get chills thinking about that play. The game goes into overtime. I'm not even going to touch the foul backcourt, whatever it was. Something something should have been called there, but you know what? If nothing's called there, you, you do exactly what they did. You give them five minutes extra to play in what had turned into a heavyweight match. I mean, punch for punch. So Arizona pulls it out because they were the better team. I really want a home and home schedule with them, though. I think Arizona needs tougher challenges in their non-conference. They need games like the Illinois and the Tennessee games. Because let's face it, TCU, 
they were a nine seed, but they played like a four seed at least. So that brings us to the other team that was heavily underseeded. The fighting, rebounding crackheads of Houston. Houston is TCU with a power-up mushroom. Arizona was swimming and fighting to keep their head above water. They never led or were tied in this one. Houston came out swinging. But this might have well been a home game for Houston. I mean, Arizona travels well, but gosh, Houston just fed off all the energy in that arena. I mean, Houston shot pretty well. They did 46% from the field and 45% from three. The Cougars just defensively schemed Arizona really well. The Wildcats were just playing scared. They were not confident. They were not calm, cool, and collected. They, they didn't have that swagger that they were, are used to having. They didn't have that swagger that they did at the end of the TCU game that TCU fans still bitch about. But, I mean, coming right out of the break in the second half, Arizona had those two possessions. It seemed like they were going to finally get on a run and get back to playing an Arizona brand of basketball that they had all year. I mean, all these guys would throw full court passes and score within a few seconds, or they'd run in transition and turn it into NBA Jam. I mean, they did none of that this game. Houston was one of the worst-ranked pace teams in the country. And Arizona was one of the best. And yet, you wouldn't know it watching this game. They needed to push the pace, relax, and let that open up the floor for them. It also doesn't help when Matherin, Tubelis, and Creasa go 5 of 29 from the field. And that's 60% of your starting lineup shoots 17% in the biggest game of the year. But, I mean, credit to Houston. They forced them into tough shots and tough possessions. And Kerr was also, you know, playing on a purple ankle. I mean, the crackhead Cougars played like they hadn't played a game all year. They truly played as if it was their last game ever. And just like that, it was Arizona's last game. It was a really, really great year for Tommy Lloyd. If this was a Miller season, I would have been absolutely heartbroken with the constant feeling of, damn, we are really never going to do anything past the Sweet 16 or Elite 8. But with Tommy Lloyd at the helm, I don't know about you guys, but I've got this newfound hope about the future of Arizona basketball. I mean, I can be a pessimist when it comes to my team losing, but this time I, I was thrilled with what had been accomplished this year. I mean, it was a pleasant surprise. It was, he blew expectations out of the water and now he's kind of set the bar pretty high for himself, but this was even sweeter, especially given the last few years this school has dealt with. So let's talk about what the teams may look like next year. So Tommy already has a five-star in point guard, Kylan Boswell, that may reclassify. That remains to be seen. He's got another commitment in four-star shooting guard out of Texas in KJ Lewis. And coming in this year, he's got a seven-footer in Dylan Anderson, who protects the paint, shoots the three, and was named Arizona Gatorade Player of the Year. I'm pretty sure he was named last year, too. I'd have to check on that. So last offseason, he spent his time re-recruiting the team, 
I mean, he pulled in talented transfers like Umar Balo, who sat on the bench for Gonzaga and watched Gonzaga go on a run. Pell Larson, and then Kim Aiken, who trouble off the court, you know, it's a private matter, didn't play this much. So from what we've heard, he's no longer part of the program. I mean, his, his name's no longer on the roster, but I expect him to get the transfers this offseason for sure. They don't need that many, um, but the portals become free agency thanks to COVID. But it's the core of this team that we believe will still be set up very much for success. I mean, let's go individually. Matherin had a hell of a year. He was nasty this season. He was good last year. He wasn't consistent. This year, he was consistent. He took that nice, nice big leap. I mean, he's going to the NBA. He should be a top five pick, but he'll be a top 10 pick for sure. Especially when you throw in, he's super athletic and should have a great combine. Plus, he's just a hard worker. I mean, you can tell that this past offseason that he really worked on his game because he he covered up the holes that he had. And the leap he took from year one to year two was tremendous. I mean, if if everybody took a leap half as good as that, this team would be in the Final Four every season. Coloco, I would assume, is gone. He's gotten better every single year, and this year was just a pleasure to watch him. I mean, he... We haven't had a defensive presence like him since probably Aaron Gordon. I mean, it has been been a while. I mean... Christian Coloco, his defense alone will get him drafted, but I'm sure he'll wait to see if he's a first-round pick or not, go from there. May even go through the whole process and see what the feedback he gets is, but if I had to guess, I guess that he and Matherin are gone, and then it leads us to Dale and Terry. Honestly, he was probably my favorite player this year. Some mock drafts have him go in in the second round, should he declare. They know how freak and athletic, raw he is. I mean, he's got tremendous upside. He's got great basketball IQ. I think he can be an even better player next year. He does so many things well and doesn't have a major weakness. Um, I'd like to see him improve his jumper a little, put some more muscle on, because, I mean, he can be unstoppable. He can guard four positions, he can play three positions, but he was the glue that held this team together in games, and I loved watching him at point guard when Kirk Carissa was out, but Dale and Terry in transition was lethal. I thought he was lethal as a point guard too. He's, his passing ability is his on par with other point guards in the country. I mean, if he comes back, I think he becomes the unquestioned leader of this squad as long as Matherin goes, which I would say 99% he's gone. So Tubelis, Krisa, and Larson, they should come back along with Balo. Larson should probably start next year, but depending who comes in, I could, I could, I don't know, I could see it going either way. But Larson, man, he is, he's very underrated. He, I feel like he, we didn't get to see the full version of Pell Larson. I mean, he showed this year that he is more than just a shooter. He can defend 
really well. I mean, we saw Tommy Lloyd keep him in there for defensive and shooting purposes towards crunch time stretches and games. I think he has I think he has all Pac-12 potential. I mean, he definitely will be an important piece to the team. Balo was a beast, but he sort of fell off toward the end of the season. As the season went on though, he was he was really coming along. I mean, you could tell he got in better shape during the year. If he gets a little quicker, sheds just a little bit of weight, I could see him being one of the most dominant big men in the country. I mean, I really can. I mean, look what look what Gonzaga has done years prior with their big guys. It's, it seems like almost every single year they have a big guy who is on NBA draft boards, who is on the radar in the nation, and everybody's paying attention to him. And I could see Tommy Lloyd turning him into his guy, his his beast that guards the paint. I mean, he he has a ton of, a ton of potential. If he can figure out footwork as well, he can really bring it all together. Hopefully, guys like Shane Noel don't transfer, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does because of playing time. But should automatically be the backup point guard, but. It really all depends if Kylan Boswell reclassifies. And then we have Adama Ball. I mean, he, he's young. He was 17 years old when the season started. He came in this season, hit some big shots. I, re- I liked watching him. When he went in there, man, it was exciting. I mean, he, he's got a ton of growth coming ahead of him, and the staff really likes him. And they mentioned that on almost every broadcast on the Pac-12 network and every time he came in. If he makes the leap this offseason, gets a little more aggressive, puts on a little more muscle, some strength, I could see him contributing a lot to this year. I mean, he could be he could be up there with Dale and Terry as far as the guys leading this team. And and Pal Larson I'll throw in there too. And obviously Kirk Carissa. Then we have Sean Miller, who recently got hired at Xavier and was announced by them the day after Arizona lost. I don't think any players would transfer to Xavier and play for him, but you never know. I mean, the one I could maybe see is Shane Noel, if I had to say somebody, but if he transfers at all, I think he'll stay West Coast. So. It's really a wait-and-see approach to this team and see what guys decide, but I've got full faith in Tommy, the coach of the year, to rebuild this roster because it really doesn't need a rebuild. I mean, there is Sean Miller left a great core here. You know, He started to recruit those guys that weren't just going to be one-and-dones. That's why he went internationally with it, and now he's got guys that are going to stay here two or three years. And once Tommy Lloyd really gets his brand of basketball players on this team and plays that run and gun, full court, just push it in transition, there's there's a lot of star power on this team. And I'm not saying sky's the limit, but sky's kind of the limit for this for a Tommy led coach team. I mean, I have, I got really high hopes for him. I mean, they, they really impressed me all this year. I mean, if you look up any of the stat categories, they're leading just about 
everything. The one thing this team didn't do well some of the year, you know, like 50% of the year, shoot the ball, shoot the three. I'd like to see him get more shooters in here. I mean, Kirk Carissa is a great three-point shooter, but he's so streaky. He is so streaky. But gosh, just to think of that one he shot against Oregon, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. But I think the future is bright. I mean, we know how well he recruits internationally. He's the international whisperer, as Barstool Arizona calls him. And I think he gets it done and makes this team easily a top 25 team next season. Maybe even a top 10 to 25 team. I definitely don't think they get picked to finish fourth in the conference. <laughs> um, you know, it, it remains to be seen what Oregon does. That's all they just picked up a five star the other day. Um, UCLA has an has an all American coming in. It there there are a lot of teams that will be towards the top end of the Pac twelve. You know, Oregon, Arizona, UCLA, as I mentioned, and I could see USC being up there. USC is kind of to the level now where they could get random transfers in there recruit one or two guys and be really competitive. And then you got teams like Arizona State that think they're going to be really good that, you know, pick up a couple transfers but end up middle of the pack because Bobby Hurley. So, I mean, Arizona, they really surprised us this year. I mean, they surprised the rest of the country this season and they should continue building off of what they accomplished this season. The, the, future, the future is bright with Tommy Lloyd. All right, thank you guys for listening. Shout out to the haters. Shout out to John Rothstein. And have a great week. Thank you.